Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy that reigns and rules and influences our lives. And Lord, we thank you today for Pastor Mark and Brenda, for Pastor Brenda's recovery. And we just thank you for your supernatural hand of goodness and healing and health upon her. And we just thank you, Lord, for uh, your blessing upon all of your people today. We thank you for the word of God that lives and abides forever, that quickens us and the Holy Spirit who quickens and makes us alive. And Father, we pray that you and Jesus will be honored and exalted in this place today. Thank you for a great day in the word and a great day in the spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Junior high is dismissed at this time. And junior high is dismissed at this time. So, amen. How many of you appreciate Tom, Pastor Tom and the worship team? Such great, great people. And just the whole leadership team and all the people that serve here at the church. I'll tell you, it was very easy for me to, this time to get a leading on a message to share. Uh, what was hard was deciding how much to share about my time with Pastor Mark on the basketball court yesterday. He's watching, I'm sure, and uh, the, the reason I'm struggling with this is my mother told me never to brag. So I just can't tell you how it, hap how it went yesterday. When I was here some months ago, you know, Pastor Mark shared publicly that I had defeated him on the court of battle. How many of you know your pastor is competitive? You may think he's sweet and nice, but wait till you get him on the basketball court. Man, oh man. So, so I can't tell you how things went yesterday. He was hoping for revenge. Um, I'm under parental training not to brag, but, but you are welcome. Next time Pastor Mark is here, you're welcome to ask him how it went. All right? That's all I have to say about that. Now, it's time to be a little less carnal and uh, to get into things. There's a, a, a wonderful lady who passed away in the 1960s. Uh, she had been a mentor. Uh, she lived in Southern California. Her name was Henrietta Mears. I don't know how many of you have heard of her, but she was a mentor to many great uh, spiritual leaders in her generation. Uh, including people like Billy Graham uh, that she had a great influence on. And one statement she made that has stood with me for years is, and, and it may have been part of what she counseled him, you know, relative to his ministry. It may have just been general. I, I'm not sure. But she encouraged uh, people who, who ministered the Word of God she, with a simple phrase, make Christ magnificent in the eyes of men. Make Christ magnificent in the eyes of men. And I woke up this morning, and as I was just meditating and praying and things like that, you know, preachers, probably all of us pray things like, Lord, you know, help me to help people today. Lord, help me to articulate your word today. Um, you know, help me to help people get their needs met today. And I just had this, this uh, uh, kind of a... a quick realization that I'm not responsible for meeting anybody's needs today. How many of you know I'm not the need meter? How many of you know none of those songs were about me? We lift up one name. We lift up one God. We, we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the need meter. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And while all of us, any of us that have opportunity to minister to others, share the word of God and so on, you know, we certainly want to share the word with truth and with clarity and, and uh, you know, help people have insight. But I just remember that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so I just want to do something very simple today. I, I want to make Christ magnificent in your eyes. I want to lift up and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, um, I remember when I first began to read the Bible, um, 
I, I had tried to read the Bible many times as a young person and, and always found myself kind of stuck. There were just things I didn't get, things I didn't understand. And, and when I was 18 years old, I, I was, had an experience of divine healing and also at the same time, uh, the same evening, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, how many of you know the Spirit of God is the author? He's the now. Now, human people held the pen and wrote, and but but the Holy Spirit was moving upon the writers of Scripture, so that what they wrote reflected the will and the wisdom and the counsel of God. And uh, the Holy Spirit, being the author, the Bible says all all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Um, that, that the Holy Spirit, when the author lives on the inside of you, you'll get a lot more insight out of the book. Uh, and, and so all of us should uh, desire to, to have a close uh, relationship where we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When Jesus spoke to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, he said three things to every church. He said, I know your works, because he wants every church to be a working church. He said, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I appreciate Pastor Mark and Brenda because I know they not only honor the Word of God, but they also welcome the influence and the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit in, in this place. And um, so Jesus said, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And then Jesus said to every church, he that overcomes... So Jesus wants every church to be a working church, a listening church, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And he wants every church to be an overcoming church. And that's what God builds on the inside of us. But, but when I f was filled with the Holy Spirit at the age of 18, I went home and opened my Bible. And, and coincidentally, I, I, don't, I say that half jokingly because I believe it was the Holy Spirit leading. Now you can't always just open your Bible and it's, you know, point your finger and it's what the, but how, how many of you have had that happen and it did work? You know, sometimes, especially when we're baby Christians, God will honor that. I, I, it didn't work for a long time because eventually I started opening the Bible and it would open to like some condemning prophecy from the book of Obadiah. And I'd say, well, I don't think you can do that every time. But, but sometimes, sometimes, you know, God may help us along. And I was a, an absolute baby Christian and I needed help. So when I opened my Bible that night, I opened to Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I read all the way through the book of Romans. And not that I understood everything, but boy, by the time I got to the end where, you know, nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it begins with no condemnation. And then Romans 8 ends with no separation. And for the first time in my life, uh, the, the words of the Bible were just exploding off the page with meaning and power and impact. And all of a sudden, I, I, for the first time in my life, uh, I was receiving the, the power of the Scripture. And um, that was in 1977. Somebody can do the math. I'm going to say that's about uh, 46 years ago. Is that right? Around 46 years ago. And uh, I'm not saying I have you know, goosebumps every time I read the Bible, or I'm not saying that it's always, you know, some emotional experience, but his words are spirit and his words are life. And Jesus, I want you to understand this. We're going to be uh, endeavoring today to make Christ magnificent in your eyes. If you leave this place today saying, well, that was a good sermon, then it wasn't. But if you live today, leave today saying, Jesus is awesome, then, then God accomplished His purpose for today. When you look at the Bible, uh, you, you can divide it many, many different ways. Sectionally, you can divide the Bible. You can just divide it Old Testament, New Testament. You can, many different categories you can come up with. But I read someone presented the, the Bible in five categories, and they just said the whole Old Testament. 
and then the Gospels, and then the book of Acts, and then the epistles, the letters, and then finally the Revelation. And they said, if you divide the Bible into these five sections, Jesus is, is the, the reason and the purpose for every single section of the Bible. The Old Testament is preparation for Jesus. The Gospels are the manifestation of Jesus. The book of Acts is the propagation or proclamation of Jesus to the world. The, the epistles, the letters, are the explanation of Jesus' work to the church. And the revelation is the consummation of his kingdom. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, and he is everything in between. We make Jesus magnificent in the eyes when we see him in the pages of Scripture as he is. The Old Testament preparation, the Gospels, the manifestation, the book of Acts, the proclamation, the epistles, the explanation, and the book of Revelation, the consummation. Jesus, as one of my preacher friends said, Jesus is the allness of the muchness. I want to talk to you today and just to make Jesus magnificent in all of our eyes, why Jesus came. Uh, I'm doing a book right now, and this is why this is very fresh on my heart. Um, I'm a few months away from completing it, but the, the name of the book is simply Magnificent Jesus. And, and the purpose of this is exactly what Henrietta Mears said, to make Christ magnificent in the eyes of men. And I just, I, one of the things I've done during the course of this book is to go through Scripture and really study. This is just one chapter. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come? And I, I suppose you could really come up with dozens and dozens of reasons why he came. But I'm narrowing this search down to places where Jesus said, for this reason I came. I mean, very distinct, specific, not a, not a, a subsidiary type of meaning, uh, not a, uh, an implied type of statement about why Jesus might have come. But, but explicitly when Jesus said, I came to do this. And, and I'm going to give you ten. There's more than that in the book. But uh, you, you don't want to be... How many, how many of you don't want to be here all day? I've got a plane to catch. So I, I, I can't, can't be here all day. But number one, number one, Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9... Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I heard more than four decades ago someone say, if you want to know what the Father is like, just look at Jesus. Because after I'd been filled with the Spirit a few years and I was in some groups, wonderful groups, people that love God, but there were certain levels of immaturity and certain levels of misguidedness, and uh, and we didn't have very good teaching. I'm talking about before I went to Bible school. Just a bunch of us young people getting together, and we didn't know much. We were sincere. How many of you know you can be sincere and still be confused? And we were trying to figure all this out. All of us had been spirit filled. We all had stepped into you know praying in the spirit and and learning about healing and the power of God and we were so excited but but we were a little bit misguided in some of our thinking and um, not a lot of wisdom in certain ways so I, I had been raised in a mainline denominational church so we talked about the Trinity all the time you know that sang the doxology cited the Apostles Creed I believed in the Trinity growing up I still believe in the Trinity today so I knew there was this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I didn't really, I just was trying to make sense of it all. And after a while, 
in that environment, as sincere and as much as we loved Jesus, but we still had you know immaturity and and lacks of lack of wisdom, uh, I came up with this conclusion, okay, the father is well Jesus was the one that I really felt connected with. Jesus is the nice side of god he he 's the friend. He, he's the, you know, he's the shepherd holding the little sheep. He's the one saying, come unto me, all ye that, you know, Jesus was the approachable one. So, so Jesus was the friendly side of God. The father was the angry, mean side of God. He's the one you didn't really want to deal with directly. Uh, Jesus, you talk to him for me because I know he's mad. He's angry, so Jesus, you be my nice guy, contact. And, uh, and then the Holy Spirit was the spooky side of God. That was how I had figured out the Trinity. And, uh, and I want you to know, I have grown in my understanding since that time. And uh, Jesus said, the Father himself loves you. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not that they're one in the same person, they're of one nature and substance, but uh, here, here's what uh, some in Hebrews 1.3, uh, different translations, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Another translation, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Uh, another translation uh, talking about Jesus and the Father, who Jesus being the outshining of his glory, the true image of his substance. And another paraphrase says, the Son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. So I want you to know today the first reason Jesus came in my list the first reason Jesus came was to reveal the Father, to show us what God is really like. And I still to this day hear some people say, well, you know, we can't really know God. He's just clouded in mystery, and, and we just don't know. We can't really know what God is really like. And I'm thinking, if God didn't want us to know what He's like, why did He send Jesus if God didn't want us to know what He is like, why did He give the Holy Spirit to reveal the Father to us? If God didn't want us to know who He is and what He is like, why did He give us a Bible talking about His works from eternity past until now? God wants us to know Him. And if you want to know what God the Father is like, look at Jesus. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Number two, Jesus came to carry out the will of the Father. Jesus came to live a life of complete and absolute obedience. There's a, a teaching of Scripture that even though Jesus uh, is co-equal and co-eternal to the Father. That's part of the Trinity. That when Jesus became a man, he laid aside his divine privileges and he lived as a human. And that's part. There's a doctrine, Philippians two, called the kenosis, based on a Greek word, and that Jesus poured out his his deity into his humanity. He never ceased being God, but he poured himself into a human body, Jesus of Nazareth, and lived as a human anointed by the Holy Spirit. And as that servant that he came to be, uh, in that um, uh, his incarnate uh, person, uh, he said, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Uh, you know, it's human nature to be self-focused. It's human nature to be selfish. It's human nature to, 
you know, I want to get all that I can get. I want to be all that I can be. And, you know, many people carry that to such an extreme that it doesn't matter who I hurt in the process. It doesn't matter who I step on to get ahead. It's just all about me and my personal acquisition, my personal accomplishments and things of that nature. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do my Father's will. And then he taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and, and in that sense, Jesus uh, set an example to us, uh, for us, about what it means to live a yielded life, a surrendered life, a life where we actually prefer others ahead of ourselves. Number three, the third purpose that Jesus came was to testify to the truth to testify to the truth. Um, he said that, he said, I was born, John eighteen thirty seven. he said, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. You know, when, when uh, uh, he said that to Pontius Pilate, Pilate scoffingly and cynically said, what is truth? And, and I'm going to tell you what, the world still doesn't know what truth is. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not trying to be uh, difficult or, or, you know, unnecessarily confrontational, but, you know, people think that truth is whatever I feel. Uh, truth is whatever is my perspective. Well, how many of you know what you feel changes? Your perspective is going to change over time. Jesus said, I, not Jesus didn't just come to testify to the truth, but Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. Truth is, is eternally fixed. It doesn't change every time somebody's fickle emotions changes. Sometimes people talk about my truth and your truth. And, and I understand people have changing and evolving feelings and things like that. But truth isn't changing and evolving. Truth is forever. The Bible says his word is forever settled in heaven. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. And Jesus is the ultimate reality. He is unchanging. Jesus came to testify to the truth, and he is the truth. Number four, Jesus came to shine as a light. John 8, 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You know, one of the first things God did in creation was he, he said, let there be light. Light is that which God has spoken. And then God, if you go back to Genesis and read this, then God separated the light from the darkness. There are absolutes, moral absolutes in this universe. Jesus is light. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus, number five, came to seek and to save the lost, to save the world. And boy, this is something that is so, so absolutely essential that we understand. I love this verse. We could just feast on this forever. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. When we talk about lost and found, and you know, I know probably the vast majority of you can say with John Newton, the former slave trader, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, there are some people who are so prideful. I wouldn't say that. I'm, I'm a pretty nice guy. You know, I've been a pretty... I've been a, good citizen. No, in the eyes of God, we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. And, and the Bible says if you keep the whole law and just miss it in one point, you're guilty of the whole deal. So that may not be your current identity. You may not feel like you're a wretch right now. And, and true, if we're born again, we are a new creation in Christ old things have passed away all things have become new but before Jesus 
really to call us a wretch was kind of a compliment. That was, you know, we were wretches. We were lost. We were separated from God. We were without hope and without God. We had sinned. We'd come short of the glory of God. We were dead in trespasses and sin. And John Newton, the slave trader, former slave trader, said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Jesus came to bring light into the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And until until a person realizes that he or she is lost, they really can't be found. Because as long as they think they're okay just the way they are, then they think they're okay with God based on their own performance or their own perfection. None of us are okay with God based on our own performance or perfection. That's why we needed a Savior. That's why Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, which was us. We were wretches. I love what, you know, everybody knows John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 is probably the most beloved verse, at least New Testament verse, uh, around the world. But people often don't bother to read John 3.17. The next verse, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. Why? We were already under condemnation. We were under condemnation because of us. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save condemned people. And anybody who's too proud and says, well, I'm just going to, I don't need somebody to help me. I'm going to do it by myself. Please don't do that. Okay? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. Jesus told parables about a lost coin. He told parables about a lost sheep. He told parables about uh, a lost son. And in every case, when, when the coin, the sheep, the, the son came back or was recovered or restored or found, there was rejoicing. I want you to know God loves us so much that even when we are dead in trespasses and sins, Jesus died, bled, shed his blood for us for our forgiveness and 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 he was raised from the dead so we could be made right with god and when we accept that when we accept him the bible says there is joy in heaven because his purpose then has been fulfilled jesus came to save sinners number six similar very similar jesus came to call sinners to repentance he, he said this in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous. Why didn't Jesus come to call the righteous? Because there weren't any. <laughs> he said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Number seven. Jesus came to serve. Wow. Now that's exemplary. Jesus came to serve. You know, churches thrive because it's full of people who, who emulate, who follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. What verse is that? Let's find it here. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's two different components here, and both are worth looking at. You can serve somebody without giving your life for them in the ultimate sense. 
But but Jesus, first of all, demonstrated the attitude of a servant. And the one who could have expected to be served instead gave himself in, in, in the role of a servant. You know, we, we know about what happened on the night of the Last Supper. While the disciples were arguing among themselves which of them was the greatest, Jesus stood up from the table, wrapped a towel around his waist, took a basin of water, and what did he do? He washed the feet of the disciples. You know, that, and, and Jesus, after he did that, they protested, said, no, Lord, that's the, that's the job of the lowest servant. And Jesus said, I, you don't understand this now, but you will understand it. And what I've done for you, that's what I want you to do for each other. See, that's the difference between the kingdom of God and the world system. In the world system, it's get ahead at any cost. In, in God's system, it's serve others at any cost. We serve because Jesus served. But Jesus didn't just serve in a nominal way, in a superficial way. See, many people say, well, I'll serve as long as it's fun. I'll serve as long as my friends are there to do it with me. You know, they, and, and that's okay. But, but Jesus didn't set these kind of like, I'll serve if. Jesus said, I'll serve and I'll even give my life as a ransom. See, we were held hostage. We were in a prison camp, as it were. We were in the land of darkness. And Jesus gave his life as a ransom for us. The ultimate, not just basic servanthood, not just servanthood 101, but Jesus gave himself ultimately. He gave his life a ransom for many. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 in the New Living Translation says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Purpose number eight, why did Jesus come? Jesus came to destroy him who had the power of death. Jesus, you know, we, we think of Jesus as being the peaceful, you know. Well, it, it, Jesus was peaceful, but in another sense, he, he was a warrior. He came to bring destruction. He came to destroy. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus came to destroy the power of death and him that had the power of death. There's a, there's a holy violence to why Jesus came. 1 John 3.8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came on, on a violent, holy, violent, destructive mission. And uh, number nine and this one is probably the most poignant, the most simple, the most profound. Jesus came to die. He came to die. Toward the end of his life, Jesus was facing a moment of prayer and, and, and intimacy with God. And, and he said, now is my soul. This is John twelve twenty seven. He said, now my soul is deeply troubled. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But for this very reason, I came. 
I want you to know Jesus' death was not accidental. It was intentional. It was deliberate. It was part of a master plan. Jesus was no victim of crowd violence. Jesus was no helpless victim. As a matter of fact, you know, when they came out to get him, you know, 600 soldiers against, you know, Jesus and his 12 disciples, and they said, Who are you seeking? And Jesus said that, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And 600 soldiers fell to the ground. And Jesus could have walked away and left them there. They could have woken up the next morning and said, What just happened to us? And Jesus is miles and miles away. No, he will. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of mine own authority and I will take it back again. Jesus was not some helpless victim. Jesus laid his, he gave himself as the Lamb of God to be slain because he loved us. It was intentional. It was deliberate. And then, you know, the soldiers get back up and, and Peter has a bright idea. There's two of the disciples that have a sword, and Peter pulls out the sword, and he's going to take on 600 soldiers and, uh, and, and actually cut a guy's ear off. Uh, so, but anyway, and Jesus said, Peter, put your sword up. He said, don't you know that I could pray at this minute and my father would give us 12 legion of angels. If I remember right, a legion was like 6,000. 12 times 6,000 is, is that 72? 72,000 angels. And in the Old Testament, one night, one angel killed 185,000 Syrian soldiers, Assyrian soldiers. I mean... <laughs> If they thought they were taken... And then Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate, and, and Pontius Pilate says, Why aren't you answering me? Don't you know that I have the authority to have you put to death? And Jesus said, You don't have any authority at all except what was given to you. Jesus was not intimidated. He was not, he was not a victim. Jesus came to die. That was his purpose. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, number 10, through his death, burial, and resurrection, number 10, Jesus came to give us an abundant life. See, we're the recipients. The curse he took so that we could have the blessing. The sin, the penalty, the punishment for our sin, he took so that we could be made righteous. The separation that we had from God, uh, Jesus bore that. That's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never have to cry that out. He, he took our separation from God so that we could partake of his union with God. Jesus was the great substitute. He took upon himself everything that was ours in our sin so that we could have everything that was his in his union with God. So that we could become partakers of the divine nature. You know the verse, John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. Zoe, the God kind of life, life as God has it. He, he had contrasted this with there's a thief. How many of you know there's a thief? There's a thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come. Why did Jesus come? We're making Christ magnificent in our eyes. He came so that we could have life and, and, and just a little tiny bit of it. No, and life more abundantly. Life more abundantly. One, one Greek dictionary says that this word means uh, super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. What kind of life did Jesus come for us to have? Super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. Other translations of John 10.10, 10, listen to this. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. These are different translations. I came so that they could have life indeed, so that they could live so that they could live life to the fullest. Another says, I have come so that they might have life and have it in greater greater measure. Another says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. Jesus needs to be magnificent in our eyes. We said at the beginning of this uh, message that Jesus is in every section of the Bible, that in the Old Testament it's all about the preparation for him. There's all the prophecies about him. There's all the types and shadows, you know, the lamb, the high priest, all these, you know, prefigurings of Christ. The Old Testament is preparation for Jesus. Uh, The Gospels are the manifestation when he actually stepped out of eternity into the space-time realm in which we live and lived among us. The book of Acts is the proclamation of his message to the world. The epistles are the explanation of his work to the church. And the revelation is, is showing us what the consummation of his kingdom is going to look like when he steps in once again and says, guys, it's time to wrap up shop. Jesus, he's not just in every section of the Bible. I'm going to borrow something. How many of you know who Oral Roberts was? I'm going to borrow something from Oral Roberts. He, he preached a classic message on the fourth man. And it was later turned into a book called Christ in Every Book of the Bible. In Genesis, he is the seed of woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and our lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of broken walls of our shattered lives. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is the Lord, our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is our lover and our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the eternal husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is our savior. In Jonah, he is the great foreign missionary. In Nahum, he is our avenger. In Habakkuk, Uh, I missed Micah. He is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Habakkuk, he is the evangelist pleading for revival. Um, In Zephaniah, he is the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer of the lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain open to the house of David for the cleansing of sin and uncleanness. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. In Matthew, going to the New Testament, in Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, he is the wonder worker. In Luke, he is the son of man. 
In John, he's the Son of God. In Acts, he is working through the Holy Spirit, moving among men. In Romans, he is the justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he is the sanctifier. In Galatians, he is the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he is the God who supplies all of our needs. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is the faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend of the oppressed. In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he is the Lord who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is the chief shepherd who will soon appear. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with ten thousands of saints. And in Revelation, he is our King of kings and our Lord of lords. I'll tell you what, when Jesus, when Jesus is magnificent in our eyes, his power can do amazing things inside of us, through us, on our behalf. The Bible says, let's magnify the Lord. Well, can I tell you something? You can't magnify the Lord in a, in a lit, hyper-literal sense because how can you make God bigger than He is? You can't make Him bigger than He is because He's already infinite, eternal. He's the allness of the muchness. You can't make God bigger than He is. But what happens if I take a magnifying glass, let's say I have an old stamp here, an old coin. I want if, I, if I put the magnifying glass down and look at, am I literally making the coin or the stamp any bigger? No, it doesn't change size. But to me... When I magnify the stamp, it's bigger to me. When I magnify the coin, it's bigger to me. When we magnify the Lord, we don't make Him any bigger. He just becomes bigger to us. And sometimes, sometimes we look at the challenges and problems of life and the voices, the harassment, the the taunting and the intimidation and, and the problem seems big. Listen, we need to make Christ magnificent in our eyes. We need to magnify the Lord. And you don't have to be hyper-complicated about it either. I know some of the things, you know, like you, you could spend years studying all these things that Oral Roberts articulated in that message. But I want you to know, if whoever calls on the name of the Lord... There's just a simplicity. There's this childlike faith. There's this faith as a grain of mustard seed. And in making Christ magnificent, we don't want to make him complicated. Sometimes we just have to go back. If you were taught this song as a little child, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I heard a Scottish preacher who is preaching about the Jesus on the cross and, and the two criminals that were crucified on either side and one of the criminals was cursing him and one of the other criminals said, you know what, we're guilty, we deserve to die, but this man is innocent. And, and the repentant thief, the penitent thief said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, I say to you this day, you'll be with me in paradise. See, Jesus is the author of eternal life. He's the only one that can give eternal life. Can I tell you something? That thief didn't have time to go to Bible school. That thief didn't have time to look up the meaning of Hebrew and Greek words. He didn't have a chance to get a theological education. He just believed that Jesus said, you'll be with me. And this Scottish preacher told this cute imaginary story. 
that when that thief showed up, you know, at the pearly gates, you know, at the, we know that's kind of fictitious the way it's presented, but he, and, and the angel who was in charge of checking people off, and again, this is imaginary, you understand, and, and, and here comes this thief, you know, redeemed thief. How many of them, it's one thing to be a thief, it's something to be a redeemed thief. This forgiven, this, uh, justified and, you know, cleansed and washed. This, this man just comes up, he, he, he doesn't know what's going on. I mean, he just had, had he'd been a thief his whole life. He just met Jesus just, and, uh, the, uh, the angel's looking at this guy and says, now, uh, we, we didn't get a lot of advance notice about you. Um, what, what's your, what's your doctrine? And he says, I don't even know what doctrine is. Well, what, what do you believe about the authority of the Bible? Uh, he says, I, I, I've never read a Bible. I, I don't know. Well, what about your, your theology? What's your doctrine about God? He said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about God. Well, what, what about, what's your belief about justification? He said, I, I, I don't know anything about justification. He says, well, why are you here? And he, he just said, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. The man on the middle cross told me I could come. I'm all for knowledge. I'm all for Bible study. I'm all for, you know, theological study and all that type of thing. But if you don't know anything else, just know this. The man on the middle cross says you can come in. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the grandeur, for the majesty, for the loveliness and the beauty and the power and the awesomeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we're all from different backgrounds. We may have all different kinds of teaching and training and ideas about life and human systems and all that. But Lord, one thing that we all agree on is how wonderful Jesus is. That He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the Restorer. And Father, I believe that as we make Jesus magnificent in the eyes of men, that He will draw all people unto you. Lord, I'm mindful of the old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, I pray that we've seen Jesus maybe not all new ideas, maybe not all new thoughts, but Lord, that he's been lifted up, he's been magnified in our eyes today.